he references a um, a restaurateur, a very very successful successful restaurateur, who the woman a woman that was dining at one of his really fine restaurants um, ordered salmon, ate about half of it, didn't find found out she didn't really like it and sent it back to the kitchen. The kitchen's in a conundrum. Like, what do we do? Do we charge her for this? Do we like it? So what they did was they doggy bagged it up gave her the remaining, charged her for it, and for the replacement meal that she ordered that. And he was like, this is so, goes so against our culture, so yeah. against our ethics, so against our um, the way we want to operate. So he created these scenarios. Like It became the impetus for him to totally change the way he trained his staff. Mm-hmm. Everything became a if-then scenario. Yep. If this happens, this is how we handle it. If this happens, this is how we handle it. What confidence is has nothing to do with winning or the leaderboard. What confidence is, is knowing that you giving your best effort is enough. Today, I wanted to sort of recreate something that I saw happen uh, last week, what's last week, at the coaches meeting here at Tiffany. Um, it was the first time I had seen it. I think it was maybe the first or second time you guys actually had sort of run through this. But I was really curious about it. And I wanted to, like I said, recreate it here because um, I think it was really, really interesting. And um, I'd like to talk to you sort of about not only why you do it, but then sort of dive into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it was, was um, a little context. Every Tuesday you have a coaches meeting. Um, and in that coaches meeting, you've got presentations. You've got, you know, obviously things happening at the gym. You've got um, lots of different things happening. And last week you did something that you guys just called, I think, what if, right? Like the what if scenario or what if something like that. We'll call it if then. If then. Yes. Cool. Um, and what it is, is you presented the entire team. It wasn't just coaches. It was the whole sort of the whole crew who was there um, with a scenario that actually I think this one was like this one actually happened. We're trying to make them all actually real scenarios. Cool. Really cool. So you presented everybody with a scenario of something that happened. Um, and then you said, what would you do? If this happens, if this happens, then what do you do? Then what do you do? Okay, so I'm going to get into what the specific one is, but I'm curious why you started to do this because I know it's new. So, like, where yeah. did it come from, and is it weird that it happens at a coach's meeting? Because it has <laughs> nothing to do with, at least in this case, it didn't have anything to do with coaching. Yeah. Um, okay. So the reason behind it is we're trying to instill certain values into our staff, certain principles. We want to elicit a certain behavior and reaction. We want our our staff to act a certain way. In a service-based industry, as we are, we own a gym, that's kind of the thing, right? It's all about, if you were running Disney World, it would all be, be all about when, you know, Cinderella comes out to meet the little kids, she has the right smile and the right attitude. And if a little girl's tugging on her skirt, then she knows how to react correctly. And if 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 there's 75 people lined up to take pictures and she only has time for 30, how does she react? So in our service-based industry, us giving our staff the tools to how to react to scenarios seems like the magic sauce. It seems right. like the most important thing, as opposed to if we were making widgets, right? If we're making widgets, we're on an assembly line. In that case, it's just, here's how you do this. Now, if something goes wrong, then it's nice to know what to do. But right. those are really like... Very much like decision trees, yep. right? Like really simple. Yep. What we're trying to do behind this is give people the tools that like, okay, here's here's the scenario. If this scenario presents itself, then how do you respond? And what's the principle? We have principles that we operate by. 
that's driving that reaction. And we're just reinforcing the principles that we operate by. If we were in a, so you kind of have three different things, right? You have the widgets, which is like factory assembly line. You have us in the service entry. And the third thing is kind of, is like a creative, right? If you're trying to make a movie or um, write a book with somebody, or if you're, um, you know, an architect, like those, those guys operate by that. We want to lift the constraints there, right? We want to think outside the box. In our world, I want to define the box really well. This is the not only acceptable, this is the sought after behaviors. Yep. And uh, these scenarios don't have anything to do with coaching, but you see the parallels bet between they, a scenario and something so they that may, might happen. They may or may not. The okay. first two we've done do not. Okay. Um, but I think that there's going to be parallels regardless. Okay, cool. All right. I won't delay this any longer. I'm going to read the scenario. Yeah. Uh, and then how do you want to get into... Like, do you want to just give what your response I'll, I'll, was to it? Or? Um, I'll just play it out. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, um, so the way we do this is um, I come up with the scenarios beforehand based yep. off something I've seen in the week or something that members brought up or another coach or something. And I present it in a coach's meeting and everyone is on a shared Google Doc and everyone has their own tabs. So everybody's responding, typing their response, and then we go through and I just pull up random tabs, yep. say like, let's see what Jess wrote, let's see what Patrick wrote, let's see what Harry wrote. And we then after that, I share kind of like my take on it and we come up with a best practice. Okay, cool. All right, here it is. Um, you are out to dinner at a popular restaurant with friends from the gym. After a big meal, you sit and talk for a while, sipping on some drinks. When your girlfriend gets up to use the restroom, a guy that has been waiting for a table is extremely rude to her, asking when you guys are going to leave so that they can have your table. He is rude to the point that your girlfriend is offended and even threatened by his questions. You look over to check him out and he is giving your entire table the evil eye. He may be drunk or just a mean, angry, aggressive D-bag. Uh, sorry, I didn't actually read to the end of that. Uh, I didn't expect that. Um, what do you do? So that's the scenario. Okay, so this was actually a scenario. So our coaches who are up supporting our, our our team and Katrin at regionals, on Sunday night after regionals, they all went out to dinner and this scenario presented themselves. And um, two of my coaches, actually one of my coaches and an intern came back and they were so fired up. Like on the next morning, Monday, they're like, Ben, Ben, we got this thing. We got something for the if-then scenarios. Um, this guy, and he laid out the exact scenario you just talked about. So we went through it and people had certain things that they would, um, that how they would have responded. And together we kind of formed what we would consider our best response. Mm -hmm. The principle we're tying this to is called tactful conflict resolution. Tactful conflict resolution has four or potentially five different steps to it. I'm just going to run through the steps. I think this comes from Dale Carnegie type stuff, but I'm not 100% sure on okay. that. Um, the first step is um, it's all in in essence to disarm. You're trying to disarm them and basically get them on your side, figuring out a solution together, as opposed to creating greater conflict, which is what's going to generally happen if you listen to your feelings. We talked about this in <laughs> yeah. a recent podcast. You gotta distrust your natural feelings. Your natural feelings, that happens, fight or flight. It's either let's get out of here or let's go. Let's go mess that guy up. And that's what my coaches, like they said that they kind of like, they ignored it. This is what did happen. They ignored him. Some of the people at our table were like, screw that guy. Like we were here first. Like some people were like, let's order dessert. Like really piss him off. Other people were like, let's just get up and leave. Maybe we have been here too long. Um, and then when they got in the car, obviously everyone's like, yeah. we should have messed him up, dude. <laughs> like all of a sudden, like all yeah. the bravado comes out, uh, yeah. right? And everyone plays this thing in hindsight. Yep. 
So what are we gonna do in the moment? You have principles to lean on, that's why we have principles. Principles help you make decisions at the moment of decision. So ours is tactful conflict resolution. The way it goes is it's a five-step process. If somebody comes up to you and I'm gonna use a different scenario that I've been through um, that, that kind of portrays this really nicely and then we'll pull it back to the, the restaurant scenario. Yep. I was running a, a competition um, at the gym and um, a woman that I did not recognize too well, I kind of thought I knew she was, but I knew she wasn't a member of the gym or somebody, um, she didn't look like a CrossFitter, um, came up to me like steaming while I was commentating the event. I was, the workout was going on and I was, you know, doing the thing like in first place, you mm -hmm. know, and you know, uh, here comes the, and she, she tugs on, um, I was standing up on a box with a megaphone or a, a mic. She tugs on me and it was like, when, when you get done with this, <laughs> we got to talk. And she had like, almost like her eyes were welling up with water. Steam was like basically coming out of her ears. She was like red. You know, if she was a cartoon, it would have been a tea, like the tea kettle, like yeah. boiling over. So I came down from the box and said, you know, um, I'm Ben, what can I do for you? And she was irate, like F bombs and like nonstop yelling and pointing and like in my face. Basically what happened was, um, there's a squash, um, court facility next to us and we had a big event going on you know probably 250 competitors another 500 spectators parking all over the place it was a mess so when she was driving to her squash courts she almost ran over one of our athletes that was stretching in the street and she got so pissed because she envisioned her daughter 16 year old daughter just got a license driving to the same place and actually running the guy over so she flipped to this like yeah this could have been my daughter that what are these people doing like um so she's like going off she is i'm gonna shut you down you don't have permits for this and like it's you know in my mind i'm like holy crap like i don't have a permit for this <laughs> you know yeah a am i gonna like does this go against my special use variants with the town like am i right. is my business gonna close down yeah. so i go to this like you know I, I my emotions go crazy and i'm just like okay just lean on the principle attack for conflict resolution step one Step one is just listen sincerely. Do not interrupt ever. Like you can't interrupt them. If I interrupt her, I'm like, listen, I get it. I get it. All that I'm saying, whenever I'm talking, she is going to be formulating her response. And now we're fighting and debating. Instead, just listen sincerely, completely with ultimate focus of body language and try to, in your head, think, what are the last three things she's saying? So if you just kind of keep it, it's like, she's going to stop now. What are the last three things she said? If you're constantly asking yourself that, like, you're remembering this, you're remembering this, you're remembering this. And then as you're talking about, like, what are the three most important things she's saying right now? Mm -hmm. And then try to remember them to the point where you can repeat them back. But before you repeat them back, the first words, here's, the, you got to listen and distrust your natural gut instinct. That's number one. Like, number one is don't fight or flight. Distrust your gut instinct and instead just listen. Step two is the first words that have to be come out of your mouth are thank you. I'm telling you, once you say that, there you go. It's like throwing cold water on them. Yep. You say thank you. And then from there, sympathize and admit mistakes. So she says that. I'm like, thank you. Oh my God. I totally know where you're coming from. I have a six-year-old daughter that's got her license as well. If I was in your shoes, I'd feel the exact same way. And then I just, just just lay them all out. 
just give her nothing to, oh my, we are parked all over the place. I didn't realize that. I've been over here commentating. This is my event and I didn't realize what was going on off of our property. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. And I just layered on even thicker. I was like, I listen, I know you go to the squash course next door. I know during the week we're running up and down the streets. And she's like, no, no, it's not about already like defending me. She's like, not, it's not about, it's not about during the week. It's just right now. So I'm like, what do you think we should do? She's like, well, you have like, you have a, a mic. She has a mic and it were different. We had three events going yeah. out at once. <laughs> she's like, why don't you guys just get on the mics and tell people to stay on your property when they're just, I'm like, great idea. You know, so I'm like, Allie, Harry, I got him right then with her there. I was like, hey, um, Mrs. X just brought up a great point. You know, we should be trying to keep people on our property. Let's make announcements right now. So we made the announcements. People started coming closer and less of a problem. And she walks away thinking like, I get shit done. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm a badass. Like, you're just, you're trying to placate to their emotions. And if you go the opposite route, which is, listen, we do have a right to, there is no parking streets. We do have a right to, I could have gone the other way. Yeah. We do have a right. We don't have to get a permit for this. You should have been paying more attention when you're driving. Actually, pedestrians have the right of way, lady. You know what? Why don't you chill out instead of threatening? Like, I could have said all those things. Where does that get us? Right. It gets us so much farther and the gap grows bigger. So that's our step-by-step process for resolving conflict. Listen completely say thank you, admit mistakes, and then involve them in the process. Mm-hmm. So looping it back to this scenario, how do we evolve, How do we do that? So this scenario is a little bit different because the guy didn't necessarily come to you. He mm-hmm. kind of went to your girlfriend, sort of, and you don't really know he's upset about it. You don't know if he's drunk or what, like there's not, there's a lot of unknowns, lot of unknowns yeah. right? Is he looking for a fight? You're at a bar, like this could be, Yep. so, in this situation, I would morph it a little bit. We still operate by the same principles. But instead of going to the gentleman, and this is what a lot of people, we had said, we had suggestions like, I would go up to the guy and, you know, um, inv- people, some people were like, I invited him to my table for drinks. Some people are like, you know, I would avoid the guy. I, I would. And I don't think that's me like um, um, being a wuss. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a scenario. I think it's as, as Tony Blower said, it's like your number one job is to choose safety. Mm-hmm. So if you don't need to go to a guy that is already aggressive, why would you do that? Like job, like job number one, let's say you have to like walk out of there with your tail between your legs and um, on the way out, the guy says like some bad words to you and you just walk to your car. Like nothing bad happened. You're a grown up. <laughs> like you're a grown up. If you get upset by strangers calling you names, like you better get off social media as well, because that happens all the time. What you didn't experience was loss of property, your reputation, injury, or financial harm. Like none of those things happened. You are good. Now, if you get in the car and you're like, I should have done this. I should like suck it up. That's your ego placating with you. That's your feelings messing with you. You did the right thing. So here's what I would have done in that situation, what we kind of came up with. I would have gone to the hostess and I would have done tactful conflict resolution with the hostess. Create the buffer between you and this angry gentleman. There's no reason to go face to face with him if it's not needed. You go to the hostess and you go up to the hostess and you go right through it. You say, I'm 
very sorry. I didn't realize that we had been hanging out at the table a little bit longer than we should have. There's a gentleman over there that's been waiting for a table. It's brought to our attention that um, he was waiting for our table. Is there something that we could do to help you out? And right away, like, I don't know what would have happened then, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe she's like, actually, you guys have been there a long time. It'd be great if you guys would, okay, like, get it. We've been there a long time. We should leave. Or maybe she's like, oh, no, we have. And by the way, in the scenario, um, there was other open tables available. Yeah. So maybe it's like the guy's name got crossed off the list. He's taking the venom out on you when it's just a restaurant mistake. Like there's plenty of scenarios that like you going to the, the hostess or the manager or the bartender, somebody that works there and just going through that first off admitting like, I'm sorry. Um, I didn't realize we've been, we might've been sitting at this table a long time. Is there anything that we can do to um, help the gentleman over there that's looking for a table? And then let the restaurant handle that. That's, I mean, I don't, I don't see the advantage of going to him. Yep. I certainly don't see the advantage of um, making a situation potentially worse in any case or scenario. Mm. You know, choose safety and another principle and tactful conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. Now it should be said, what you know, in the conversation that you guys had, um, there were there were some people who thought it best to actually, mm -hmm. and confront's not maybe maybe too strong a word, but to to go to that individual in the in with the thought that that was the smart. Yep. So we have in, some in some way. We have some brave, honorable people on the staff that are um, live lives with incredible integrity, and their um, their thought process was. If this guy's doing this to this girl here and we don't do something about it, he's going to do it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Potentially. Potentially not. Yeah. But the risk reward I don't think is there. Yeah. You know, and I think it's noble for people to stand that way, but in my scenario is like you always choose safety. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy if you the guy's not going to cause harm to you, your party or anyone else at the restaurant if you handle this thing appropriately. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to afterwards, like after he's seated, go up to him, like, because probably after he's seated, things have calmed down a little bit, go up to him and be like, and then say, um, you know, something along the lines of tactful conflict resolution. My girlfriend brought this to my attention that we've mm -hmm. been sitting there a long time that you came up to her. I just want to apologize. I didn't realize we've been sitting there for a long time. Um, had we known that, um, I, I think that we would have dot, dot, dot. Yeah. You know, but... I, I think that uh, it's a situation where you can avoid escalating conflict further by not getting yourself involved with somebody that's already heated. Now, the other question that came up was, what if that happens in our gym? Mm. What if somebody comes up to us, and this is obviously where now we draw parallels to other scenarios. What if a guy comes up in your gym and is irate or pissed, whether he's a drop-in or a neighbor or the UPS guy or a stranger or a member of the noon class. In that scenario, what do you do? In that scenario, this is your business. You are the you are the owner. It's the onus is on you to de-conflict that situation. You don't go to the front desk. Mm -hmm. You don't go to his boss. You don't go to some you have to use tactful conversation with that individual on a one-on-one -on -one setting. Mm -hmm. Totally different if it's your business. If there's not an, an intermediary, 
it all falls in, much like the lady that came up to me. Right. Now, if she had gone to another coach, my hopes w- would be that that coach would have the skill, and yep. literally the skill, not the character traits or anything like the skill. This is a skill that you learn, the skills to handle that conflict. Yeah. I think one thing that I was thinking about in the in the few days after I sort of, you, you guys did this last week, there's, I, I kept coming back to the parallel, a parallel to a story that you tell a lot about Michael Phelps and his, his goggles getting filled with water mm-hmm. um, in the middle of a race or at the beginning of a race. Literally, he was, he was uh, swimming blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and for most people, that, would, that scenario would be enough to completely throw them off of their game and sort of take them out of that, that moment. But he, because he had, he had literally trained with that in mind, maybe he actually yeah. did it or he just, you know, visualized yeah. that's something that could happen and I need to be sort of emotionally prepared for it. That to me, those things feel kind of similar. Like not uh, what feels similar is the conversation that you guys have. No, I get it. Yeah. And, and, and whatever, again, whatever negative visualization Michael Phelps did or, or didn't do or whatever. Uh, I, when people hear visualization, the way it's taught is visualization is taught, like visualize the perfect, yeah. right? Visualize you walking onto the podium with the, and putting the metal around your neck. Visualize the perfect race. Visualize the perfect lift. Visualize the perfect presentation. That's the visualization you want to have when you're walking onto the competition floor. You want that mm. in mind. But in the days, weeks, and months leading up to that, there should be a whole lot of the opposite. If this happens, this is what I do. Yeah. So Bob Bowman, Michael Phelps's coach, practiced this with him. They went through the exercise of visualizing. If you are in the gold medal match for the butterfly at the Sydney Olympics to break the record for eight gold medals, the most ever by Olympian, and you dive in the water and your goggles either go right around your neck or fill up with water, how are we going to handle that situation? And guess what? It actually happened. It actually happened. And because of that, he actually not only got gold, he set a world record blind because he had practiced that negative visualization. It's the same thing with the Navy SEALs trying to get Osama bin Laden. When they're planning for that, they're not like, okay, it's going to go great. It's going to go great. It's (laughs) going great. And we're going to go in there. We're going to shoot the bad guys and we're going to get him. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, like when you think about that scenario, it sounds ridiculous. Instead, what they did was, okay, the commander knew the riskiness of we're using those Black Hawk helicopters, those um, the, the invisible to radar helicopters. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to use those at all. But because he knew the risks, he planned for helicopter down scenarios. So much so that his SEAL Team 6 crew joked with him every single day. They said like, like Captain, we're going to do another helicopter down drill? Like literally mm-hmm. all the time. And guess what? When it came time... They didn't practice. When they practiced, the mock scenarios were with chain link fences because they didn't build actual walls. Mm-hmm. When they went there and there was actual walls, it created funny updrafts mm. and caused one to, to crash. So one crashed in the yard. The other one was supposed to land on the roof, couldn't land on the roof, had to land outside. And guess what? They had planned for that scenario because they visualized things going poorly. That's why we deal, That's why we try to create these scenarios for our coaches and our staff because we want them to be ready if things go poorly. Yeah. I actually got this from um, um, Daniel Coyle wrote The Culture Code. Mm-hmm. Um, and The Talent Code, right? In Talent Code, great guy. book. Yep. Like just the phenomenal, phenomenal books, right? Um, and he references a, um, a restaurateur, a very, very successful, successful restaurateur, who the woman, a woman that was dining at one of his really fine restaurants, um, ordered salmon, 
ate about half of it, didn't find found out she didn't really like it and sent it back to the kitchen. The kitchen's in a conundrum. Like, what do we do? Do we charge her for this? Do we like it? So what they did was they doggy bagged it up, gave her the remaining, charged her for it, and for the replacement meal that she ordered in that. And he was like, this is so goes so against our culture, so yeah. against our ethics, so against our um the way we want to operate. So he created these scenarios, like it became the impetus for him to totally change the way he trained his staff. Mm -hmm. Everything became a if-then scenario. Yep. If this happens, this is how we handle it. If this happens, this is how we handle it. If you do those type of things, which we do, which I do with my games athletes, we list out everything that can go wrong. We try to, like, I'm sure there's things that, yep. but everything from your alarm doesn't go off to you are incredibly sore to... um you don't have a chalk to a shark attack to like we talk about like everything that we can to your family is stressing you out to car breaks down on the way there if this thing happens what are we going to do and we go through all those scenarios and you just feel this other another level of prepared yeah. because no matter what they throw at me it might not be that exact scenario but i can draw parallels to it yeah. and i know we've kind of walked through that before yeah um Tim Ferriss, I think at a TED talk, he, do, he talks about this a lot in one of his books. Called, I think he calls it fear setting. And it's basically mm. that. It's like list, literally list out all the things you're afraid is going to happen and say, okay, if that happens, almost what's the what does that actually mean? What's the worst that could happen? What can I do if that happens to then mm. bounce back or whatever? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's very, very similar to- Same thing with like if you're setting a goal, right? Like I want to run a marathon. Okay. If it's you work, you run before work every day. Okay. If it's 35 degrees and raining out, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And if you know that beforehand, well, in that case, I'm going to go and I'm just going to do 100 burpees in the basement, or I'm going to run in the rain no matter what, or I'll get a drop in uh, 20 punch card to the Globo gym. Like, you knowing that stuff ahead of time all of a sudden eliminates the thing like, oh, I'm just going to stay in bed. Yeah. Back to ignoring your feelings or recognize your feelings and saying that's you're lying to me right yes. now. Have you ever heard of the term pre-mortem? It's it's sort of the inverse of a post-mortem. So post-mortem, mm. obviously, you do like mm. um, after something happens, you say you look back and say, okay, well, yep. how did this happen? The debrief. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So a pre-mortem, I've seen, I've come across it in the context of like starting a business, which is, okay, we have this idea. Before we go forward, let's list out everything that could possibly go mm. wrong. So that we know if it does happen, we've at least discussed it or we, you know, so it kind of gets everybody on the same page about, because because no, nothing ever goes as well as you'd like it There's to. There's so one thing that we know is going to happen. Things are not going to go according to plan. Yeah. That's the only thing, like yep. no matter how much you plan. That's why I think like business plans are kind of like, people spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy, a lot of resources on running these really exorbitant business plans. And three to six months in, they're on a different course. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because the world interferes. Yeah, right. It's like, to me, it's like, just just start. You know, yeah. we said it before, like, yeah. jump and grow wings on the way down. Yeah. Now, before you jump, you better know how to grow wings, right? right? <laughs> you better know yeah. how to, like, if this happens and I get yeah. a gust this way, this is what I'm going to do. If I get a gust this way, this is what I'm going to do. If I'm accelerating faster than I thought I was going to, this is what I'm going to yeah. do. So th that feels like that feels like the principles, right? Mm -hmm. Like, exactly. that's the, how do we build the wings? It's, we have these set of guidelines that are broad enough that no matter what happens, we can point to them and say, remember remember who we are. Run, yeah, exactly. Yeah, running your business and living your life to the fullest are the exact same things. You're going to get swayed every which way all the time by 
how good of a negotiator somebody is, how much sleep you got last night. If you're in a fight with your wife, like there's all these things that like are going to pull on you to make you make decisions. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have principles to lean on, principles don't change. Principles are everlasting. Principles are what drive a stake in the ground and say, this is who we are and what we believe in. If you have those things in place, then all the like the little wishy-washy things around, just like that's what guides your decisions. Yeah. For real. Okay. For real. For real. <laughs> Wrap it up there. Yeah. Great, man. Right, cool. Thanks.